Key Aero, your aviation destination. Historic Aviation. Welcome to the Fly Past podcast. This is episode five. Can you believe episode five? I can't, you know, I literally can't believe that we've uh, we've managed to get this far, quite frankly. Uh, I'm Hans from Kiero here with Chris Clifford from Fly Past. Hi, Chris. Good morning. And Tara Leggett. Hello back, there. Assistant editor on uh, Historic Aviation on Kiero. How is everybody? We're okay. Surviving lockdown. Keep yeah, going. I know. I know. We could do, all we, all I seem to do is talk. <laughs> talk like you like into a screen um, teams meetings what a joy <laughs> i know i know that and homeschooling which we've covered in a previous episode we won't go back there because otherwise i'll never stop talking about it um but you know there you go um we thought one of the one of the joys about sort of um uh, starting a podcast uh, at key publishing is that um no one seems to sort of like tell us what we have to talk about we can just decide ourselves can't we it's kind it's of nice, total, isn't it, really? Total control. Yeah. No, self, <laughs> the man isn't going to tell us what to do. <laughs> I'm expecting an email straight after this one, obviously. <laughs> uh, so we sort of thought, what can we talk about that we just really, really love for no reason, not on an, any, not connected to any anniversary? And we thought we would talk about the Vulcan. Tara, Woo-hoo! I know that you are... Um, that Yes, that scream you heard in the background <laughs> was Tara. Uh, you, you are... Uh, an unashamed Vulcan obsessive, are you not? I am indeed, yes. It, to me, is just the epitome of perfect, to be completely honest. I, yeah. A bit sad. It's, it's not sad. It's not sad. It's, it's a, <laughs> this is a very, very cool aircraft. What is it? What is it about the Vulcan, do you think, that... Because um, I think it is one of those aircraft, isn't it? Because it's very sort of... Um, it's very sort of distinctive and unique looking. A lot of aircraft, you know, whether they're it military is, yeah. or... Uh, commercial whatever do tend to have a lot of love if they look a bit kind of just different from everything else what is it about the Vulcan that you are so obsessed with um if I'm honest I was always uh interested in the Concorde sort of thing like you know Delta Wing concept and then um when I was really really young um my granddad actually um showed me loads of pictures of his Victor and um I say his Victor. He doesn't own a Victor. He worked as a craftsman on a Victor. Say, can, Chris, can we go? Can we go and? Uh, can you put some touch <laughs> no, yeah. I just cool realised the wording. Um, and so it was from then that I sort of was interested in the V bombers, and it was, it was then that obviously I uh, I discovered the Vulcan, and I just, as somebody that was sort of, I liked the look of the Concorde. I'd. I looked at this and it was just better and just I I don't know it's so sleek it's so um so aerodynamic and just it looks like a friend I don't know I don't know if I'm just saying that because but it just looks so lovely and then obviously you've got the roar of that it makes when it's when it was flying obviously it, um it retired in 2015 uh and it was quite a war, roar indeed, wasn't it? Uh, oh, it's deafening. Absolutely deafening. And I don't know, it, something really um, intrigues me about looking up into the sky and seeing a giant triangle. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I, like, that like sounds some like some sort a, of flat monolith coming along. Yeah. Well, yeah. Like, I, 
it's 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 mental really because i mean last year i think it was um i looked up and saw a b2 stealth two b2 stealths flying over me and even that, that? didn't that didn't that? phase me much at all they are um, quite cool. they are quite cool as well though well they are they look a little bit like pac-man characters but um <laughs> <laughs> They do. We go from tel- Teletubbies episode one to Pac-Man episode five. We're, we're, <laughs> we're growing up. Um, but yeah, no, I just think I think the shape, the sound, the the sheer ability of what it was able to do, I just think is incredible. And yeah. It's quite an interesting. I think any, that, that kind of Cold War era is just quite interesting anyway, isn't it? Because it's quite, you know, we know quite a lot about World War II, you know, stuff, don't we? It's just been covered. And then it seems like there's a then there's an era of you know secrecy and what you know a lot of these kind it of aircraft were, were sort of you know d- designed to do but you are you are right and it's very interesting isn't it as as always with these aircraft to, to 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 read back and see what they were actually like for the people who were flying them again no space couldn't Awful. really see yeah. anything the way you sort of climbed in um was it was just the tight considering when you look at it it's huge like we said about the lancaster in in last episode like it's pretty huge to look at on the outside and then you get in and you're like a sardine and i mean unlike the lancaster obviously the vulcan never saw active active fire or that sort of thing but apart from the falklands well i mean the falklands yeah but not not what it was intended to do yeah not what it was necessarily intended for you know nuclear thank goodness yeah well <laughs> and it's quite a mission but, to get it to the falklands actually wasn't it you know when you sort of you know there's eight thousand miles away or something it, it was a hell of a feat it really was in fact um last year uh part of my job as fly past editor is that i always i also manage the combat machine series of books that uh, key produces and uh it was great fun working on last year's which was on the avro vulcan and uh, i got to correspond with alistair montgomery who was the detachment commander on Ascension Island during the Falklands War uh, for the Vulcans. And uh, this sort of very quietly spoken Scotsman, who's very unassuming, to think that he was uh, in charge of all that might was uh, uh, fascinating, to be honest. And it was really cool talking, uh, talking to him. Um, you know, I got the lowdown on uh, the missions and there was a, a very good personal account that he provided for the Combat Machines book. Um, yeah, it was a hell of a feat, uh, not just for sending that thing there, you know, uh, individually but uh the refueling um effort that had to support it mm. was just astonishing the amount of victors that had to refuel more victors that had to refuel <laughs> even more victors to then refuel that vulcan it's a hell of a fuel flow diagram for that i tell you <laughs> <laughs> we pre-internet but we see they that calculators just, yeah they only just made it as well really yeah, yeah they only just made it it is. It is incredible. It is. I, I tell you what. If you go on, you know, looking at pictures or you know, going on YouTube, you know, just refreshing your memory, of seeing inside the cockpit. Going back to what you were saying about how cramped it was, and it amazes me. It amazes me when you're looking inside the Vulcan cockpit. You know how bad the visibility was. They reckon that yeah. um, you had to, as a, a pilot, or if you were in the in the cockpit, you had to literally sort of you know crane forward as far as you could go. Yeah. Just to be able to see the wingtip, you were like contorting yeah. yourself. Um, it's just, um, you know, absolutely sort of crazy. And, and, and they couldn't, obviously, couldn't really sort of see that far in front of them either, could they? So you know, it Not was. Not really. But I guess they didn't have to. I mean, it was all about being directed by the radar. 
you know, the terrain following. And um, But I guess it must have been a little bit like trying to fly a garden shed with just one tiny window, you know, just sitting in there. It just doesn't bear thinking about, really. There is a guy, um, I think his name was John Reeve. So he was a Vulcan pilot. Yep. And he yep. did, this is the, one of the best descriptions I've uh, found of what it was like to fly when you're kind of getting obsessed looking at those pictures. He said it was like, um, flying a postbox by looking through the letter slit. Exactly. <laughs> Perfect description. <laughs> Perfect description. But yeah. it, you know, it, it did the job though. But I think there was a bit of chagrin with the, um, the uh, you know, the non-pilots, the guys in the back, you know, the air electronics operator, um, navigator, because they didn't get to have ejection seats. And it was a, a long-standing bone of contention, I think. Mm. Yeah, but there's all sorts of other, yeah. The, the, uh, and it's the other... a hard aeroplane to get out of too, you know, especially at low level. Yeah, no. Uh, Have you yeah. seen, um, so in, I think it was early 2015, um, just before, or it might have been might have been shown afterwards, um, just before the um, Vulcan was due to stop flying altogether in October, I think Guy Martin did quite a... Oh, that was a good program. It was, um, and... Uh, believe me, I've watched it a few times, and um, <laughs> he he demonstrates like, or the you know the the guys that he's with, they demonstrate just what it would would be like to to have to bail out and mm. have to to drop, and the amount of effort just to not hit yourself as you're going out. I mean, it's true of any any aircraft, I suppose, but the fact that obviously this was their only their only opportunity to be able to get out of that aircraft yeah. was so dangerous and yeah. it it doesn't bear thinking about really mm. um i'd I'm, i think they're quite lucky that they didn't really have to do it i that i can think of so it was quite mm. an innov- innovative time wasn't it for for aircraft when you think about it. i think it was you know, start of 1947s when the first kind of, you know, the British Air Ministry sort of, you know, that's the, I think the first steps you can trace back to then for the development of the Vulcan when they sort of, you know, right, this is what we want, you know, yeah. from an aircraft. And you sort of think, you know, we've talked about the Lancaster previously, that was the Lancaster era. And then no sooner, you know, after that, you were going into something like the Vulcan, which is... Yeah, well, kind there, of, was an, you, there was an overlap, wasn't there, you know, in yeah. terms of it, it, design it, it, and development? It's, it's, it's just not, you know, looking at those, those two things. I love Avro, you know, you've decided, I'll tell you what, if you've, if you've, if you've started a company that's done the Lancaster and the Vulcan, I mean, your work here is done, isn't it? You, you haven't know. done badly, have you really? Thank, thank you. <laughs> I'm off to the pub now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Quite right. Retiring. Yeah, yeah. Ex- exactly. Uh, Tara, I bet you're, uh, from, from the way you've built it, uh, and imagine you're, and obviously we can't sort of see this, but I imagine you're surrounded by sort of Vulcan paraphernalia and all sorts of like Vulcan pictures on your wall and things like Quite that. Quite honestly, yes, honestly, I'm sat in front of a, uh, it's like a, it's like a print of um, Spirit of Great Britain, so XH five five eight, and I've got that's that's nice. I've got a little plaque there that gives all of her like stats and credentials and stuff i've got a framed certificate that says that my name is currently under her wing um which is rather <laughs> nice uh and i am the only tara leggett on on that uh on that print unlike someone else we know who is un- indistinguishable indistinguishable amongst three is that not right yeah Chris? okay yeah yeah well you know, i was <laughs> delighted when my wife paid to have my name underneath the wing of 558 so when they finally re- released a photo of my name there, I get to see there are 
them in two other Chris Cliffords right next to me. I couldn't believe it. Oh, gosh. Hunt them down, Chris. I will. <laughs> just scratch them off. Just pretend they're not there. Technically illegal, but, you know, it's got, to, yeah, yeah. it's got to be done. <laughs> Tara, when you go to, you know, back in the days that you could go to a pub with your, uh, with, with your, with your friends, do you kind of, um, do you bore them senseless with Vulcan talk and they have to tell you to shut up? Do you know, not with my friends because they are completely unresponsive to, <laughs> <laughs> to anything that I say regarding the Vulcan at this point. Um, but I do go to the pub with my uh, brother-in-law and my sister, and there have been a number of times that we have sat down the pub, and me and my brother-in-law it was born in seventy-five, um, so he grew up um, with all all of this, you know, going on around him, and um, he he is absolutely in love with it all. So we sit there and just—I've never seen anybody so bored as my sister every time we're at the pub <laughs> and we're just talking about like you know the cold war and all the you know technological advancements and the vulcan <laughs> and to the point where actually i bought him and his dad tickets to react for like three years in a row um for christmas and i could never go because it was always during the summer when i had to work um, oh, and which man. is obviously why i never got to see it fly <laughs> um but honestly Every single time we are down the pub, it ends up in Vulcan Vulcan chat, really, or just mm-hmm. historic aviation chat. I love that. I, love, I can see your sister rolling her eyes as you basically sort of like say, "I'll get another round in. We can talk no. about the, um, the the wing dimensions." Do you know what she does? She sends us <laughs> up to the bar so that it separates us. She's like, "Oh, Tara, will you go and get the drinks the next round in?" So it like separates us and stops the conversation. It's quite manipulative and quite 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 <laughs> quite well planned. Um. So she can speak about Strictly and Love Island and that kind of thing, probably. <laughs> Don't knock Strictly, Chris. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just How not with you there. named after Stacey Dooley? <laughs> I do she have a dog. I have a cockapoo called Stacey that um, is um, a strawberry blonde, uh, shall we sort of say, <laughs> and female. And my ki- when I sort of said to the kids, right, what do you want to call this dog? They, uh, one of them connect, joined the dots and said, let's call it Stacey. So, um, sorry, uh, if you're listening, Stacey Dooley, which you are undoubtedly, um, <laughs> don't take in offence that Stacey's a lovely, a lovely little pooch. Um, you really cool so, if you had a, like, a, like a Rottweiler or Alsatian called Vulcan, wouldn't it? That would be quite oh, menacing, wouldn't it? Honestly, the amount of times I've said we need three dogs, Volker, Victor and Valiant. I'd love to hear you down the local park shouting, <laughs> shouting to get them back. Valiant! Vulcan! <laughs> You'd get a few choice looks, wouldn't you? You really would. Well, this was, you know, my, this was mine, and then my, my partner wanted to go with Ant and Deck, so I'm, I'm definitely on board oh, with no, mine the, over his. The V-bombers no. are far better. Far definitely. better. Yeah. Do you know what? I am long enough in the tooth to remember seeing service Vulcans flying um, you know, uh, back in the day in the, uh, the 70s and uh early 80s and it you know for a young lad it was just the most incredible thing to see it really was the you know the biggest and most impressive of our airplanes i i actually preferred the the victor for its looks because it mm. looked to me more futuristic, futuristic. at the time mm. yeah. you know that crescent wing and that kind of weird front end i just thought it looked so cool but for sheer presence i think the vulcan with that massive delta did it every time and uh you know there was a massive gap between you know, seeing those service machines and then seeing 558 come back to life. Mm. And it, it, it just felt so empty in that time to me. And then when you finally saw 558 flying again, you know, for that, that wonderful period we, we, we got to enjoy, 
it was just like nothing else. And it was, I think it, it did a lot for people that didn't really, you know, they weren't actually into aviation at the time. Even that could really draw them in mm-hmm. and impress them and think, wow, this is something I can really support. It's just, it's something so dif- different, as we say, to see in the sky. And it's so intriguing. And yeah. it's such a shame that, you know, the funds weren't there and she's had to be grounded. But yeah, yeah. Um, but they are working on some cool stuff in the meantime, you know, making it a really a good ground exhibit, uh, yeah. looking at uh, engineering, STEM, and all this kind of thing. Uh, I think it's a really worthy cause to support still. Definitely. Definitely. I look forward to when we can all get back to the pub. And, um, you know, Chris, we can just sit there for hours uh, while Tara launches into some sort of, you know, monumental soliloquy yeah. about uh, the Vulcan. We'll just interject on occasion and then just carry on drinking. Yeah. And then the last orders, that means you, Leggett. <laughs> Boy, Leggett. <laughs> so here's another question for you. So we, we, we're lucky enough to get to uh, talk to some interesting people uh, in historic aviation, are we not? Who is um, who's one of the most interesting characters you've ever oh. um, you ever um, spoken to? I sorry, go ahead, Tara. No, well, I was just going to say, um, other than actually my grandfather, who worked on Victors, obviously, um, I met George Dunn at the um, the 80th anniversary of the Battle of Britain in the summer. August, I think it was, and he was just something else um, for such a, you know, a well-travelled and he was just so wise and everything that he's been through. You know, he um, he started flying uh, Halifaxes in World War Two, and then he went on to train pilots in, I think it was Canada in Tiger Moth. Um, and then he went on to um, test Spitfires. And um, I'm not sure if you, if either of you saw inside the Spitfire factory after mm. um, it was around about September time, I think. Um, but he's he's in this, and um, it was it was just shortly before the day that I met him that he visited Biggin Hill and found out that his um, one of the Spitfires that he had flown to test it in Greece was actually in their hangar. Um, and was still written in his logbook. So That's he had amazing, pulled, isn't it? Yeah, he pulled this logbook out of his pocket and he said, it's, you know, it's, it's the Spitfire it I, I built and flew. Fabulous. And it was just, and hearing him and getting so, um, he, he was emotional, but he was very stiff upper lip about it, which was quite, quite endearing yeah. to see really, because. You're talking about a different breed there, I think, Tara, you know, that generation, they, they got a different worldview. Um, 100%. You know, than, than people that came after them. And uh, I think we could all learn a, a lesson or two from those guys. Oh goodness. Definitely. Definitely. He was just, he was just such a, um, such a pleasant guy as well. Like he wanted mm. to talk to you about everything. Um, whereas quite a lot of a lot of that generation are quite closed he he wanted you to know that this was what he did and actually it was almost in a way of like you know not boasting but very much of um proud of his efforts very proud but more sort of about other people Mm -hmm. um he'd be like yeah but don't forget you know you had these guys and these guys and it was like george you literally flew halifaxes in in the war like like (laughs) are you are you sort of do you know what you did? And he's like, yeah, yeah, but don't forget these guys. And, the, and it was just, he was just such a lovely man to me. I think he was just incredible, to be honest. 
Did um, just as well he didn't sort of say, Tara, what, what are your views on the Vulcan? Oh, goodness. We'd still, we'd still be a big hill now. Uh, <laughs> what lockdown? Carry on. <laughs> God. Chris, what about you? Well, do you know what? I, it's a little sad, really, because I, when I first started working on Flypast in 2018, you know, a lot of the, the really fascinating um, air crew and ground crew um, had already left us, unfortunately. But one person that I have corresponded with um, in my time on Flypast is Tom Richard the warbird pilot in the US who has had a fascinating journey and it's a real lesson in tenacity and, and you know, chasing your goals. This guy was uh, born in Sweden and I think he was around, around about 1979 when he would have been maybe seven, eight, nine, ten, something like that. Um, he, uh, he was reading a, an aviation, a Swedish aviation magazine and there was an article about, I think it was the Red Baron and it really lit a fire in him. And he just became fascinated by aviation. And he ended up, I think, when he was about 16, taking some gliding lessons, uh, which only sort of fueled the fire even more. And he, from then on, he was determined to, to have a career in aviation. And he'd got some big cojones for a young guy because with about two grand from his grandfather, he just decided to travel on his own to America and forge his career in, air, in aviation. And I think he began um, working as a, sort of an apprentice mechanic. Uh, and this kind of culminated over a long period of time in getting, you know, proper flying lessons, tail dragger, all this kind of thing. And he eventually um, got his own company, um, Warbird Adventures in Kissimmee in Florida. And he flies a fabulous uh, two-seat uh, P-40, a TP-40 Warhawk uh, called American Dream. And it's just a gorgeous machine. But he's also had a career as a, an air racing pilot. And uh, he's flown at Reno Air Races, and these are some seriously high-powered machines. They're just incredible to watch, uh, and not just you know just a little bit dangerous, really. You know, just for the power and speed and, and altitudes that they fly alone. Um, but there is a video on YouTube that went viral, I think. Um, and he he flew in these sort of unlimited category, these real big beasties. But uh, the aircraft that he flew, um, a Mustang, it caught fire in between events uh, during a refueling session. And uh, it just bit the dust, basically. Uh, so he switched categories to the Formula One um, category, uh, sort of a different class of aeroplane. But he was on the, the, the runway at Reno. I think it was, they were waiting to take off for this air race. And I think there must have been a, a miscommunication or whether it was another pilot's error. But Tom was just reaching up to close his canopy when another air racer just came screaming behind him and sheared off the canopy completely. Wow. And when you watch this video, it totally makes you turn cold, your blood turn cold, because you thought if that guy was just standing up on his seat or even just a little bit higher, he wouldn't be here today. His, uh, his hand was uh, quite badly injured, uh, although I understand it's, it's quite, you know, quite a lot better now and he's, he's flying okay. But it's truly sobering watching this video. I, I suggest you take a look. Um, but this guy has just forged such a fascinating career, going from just a boyhood dreaming about aviation to traveling all the way to the States on his own, to getting work in, in the industry, you know, learning the trade, uh, getting flying lessons, and then becoming one of the, the world's foremost air racers and warbird pilots. And uh, I just think it's a, a fascinating achievement and, and you know, well done to him. 
Yeah, it is absolutely amazing. It's me. I love those. I uh, speaking. Uh, I just love speaking to any pilots, really. But Chris, mm. I, I don't know whether you remember you you put me onto um, those guys at Aero Legends. You know, Charlie yeah. Brown and uh, Anthony oh, Parkinson. Sure, yeah. I love yeah. you know speaking to speaking to people like that. It's just brilliant, isn't mm. it? Because um, they're so so not. I mean, like Charlie Brown's done fifteen hundred hours in a Spitfire. You know, like yeah, yeah. Pa- Anthony Parkinson. I think he was. He was the first guy, wasn't he, to do a thousand hours in the uh, Eurofighter? You know, these guys, yeah. these guys, you know, but they just so they've just got such a lot of respect for the people who, who actually kind of like you know flew things like Spitfires, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. In, well, they, in, they've in, got a true, a, to, um, a true appreciation appreciation of history, uh, but also you know they they've done the job themselves. They they know what it's like to strap on, strap one on and and you know fly fly combat missions, things like that. Um, it's just, it's so closely related. You know, it's just a, a matter of time periods, really. They're doing the same job and they, they have to take the same risks. Mm. Uh, and I think they'll always have a lot of respect for the people that went before them. Mm. Yeah, I mean, obviously that was uh, at Headcorn, wasn't it? You know, mm. um, when there was a brief window, back when we had a brief window of freedom. <laughs> can you remember, can you cast your mind back to tier two when oh you could sort God. of walk outside your front door without fear? It wasn't fear? too long ago, thank you very much, that I was in <laughs> tier two at home. And could go out for a beer and bore people with a substantial meal. Yeah, exactly. Got to wait till the Scotch egg arrives, obviously, <laughs> before you can uh, have that pint. But um, so it got me thinking. You know, uh, let's let's pray that um, you know things open up again this summer. What what air show are you looking forward to returning above all others? Oh, well, it, it's got to be Legends for me, uh, Flying Legends. Although you know, it's not at Duxford anymore. Um, the announcement made last year shocked a lot of people. Uh, although the fighter collection that organizes the event, you know, they're still based at Duxford, but um, the actual flying event itself um, is to move to Cywell in Northamptonshire. Um, and it'll be interesting to see what they do, if they can do it, COVID allowing, because of course, you know, we we didn't realize it would be as bad as it is right now. Um, the event is set for, for this July. I really hope it can go ahead uh, in some form or another, but it's a smaller airfield. Um, they're going to have to take a different approach, but knowing those guys, they'll do their ultimate to make it a real spectacle like it always is. Mm. Mm. That you, Tara? Well, I mean, I mentioned it before. I mean, uh, I've got quite a family history with Riyadh, and, you know, I've never been. So I would absolutely adore for that to be back because it was online last year. Um, and it's just not the same, is it? Like, no, no, mm. no. No air shows the same online, um, so I would love mm. to be able to 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 go to that finally. Um, Riyadh's, Riyadh's good fun. I mean, I've done it for for a number of years, uh, from when I was in the RAF all the way up to you know just a few years ago, and it's nice because you do get that real mix of fast jets and historic aviation. And if you like yes. everything, you've got such a great fix all in one. It's a fun event, and that's that's the thing as well. I think I absolutely love you know the. Uh, the the historic avi- the historic aviation side um and the military side but i've got quite a big connection in my family to to commercial aviation as well so which i've got a whole mixture of things which you know mm. which is why riyadh appeals to me so much and i just hope it comes back really so fingers, that i can fingers crossed spend two days spend, in heaven you spend too much time buying everyone else tickets to it i know <laughs> no what happened was it was christmas and i thought oh what a great christmas present to get them and then I realised, like, oh, I can't. You know, <laughs> I, forgot, I forgot to get I myself one. I can't go. Like, and um, so yeah, he he took his dad, and then it just sort of became a became a tradition for him to go with his dad, my uh, my brother in law. And um, 
and I never really I never got to go I was always working because it was always on a Saturday and you know Saturday jobs and there and have, um, you heard, have you heard of the term call in sick believe it or not Hans my boss I, uh, <laughs> I don't just call in sick for no reason <laughs> yeah exactly you know you can never use that for, for doing this podcast or any but, other key associated work however I will take that as permission no I won't if you I want to get to Ria, then I think, you know, <laughs> to be honest, we'll all be so excited when we can go and um, see aeroplanes in the flesh again that, you know, we'll probably all we'll probably all call in sick. But I think we're allowed to Certainly. do that for our jobs anyway. So um Quite lucky anyway, actually. Exactly. Exactly. Uh let's hope they all come back. Um thanks as ever for your time, Chris and Tara. No worries. Um, no worries. Speak, speak to you again, uh speak to you again uh next time. Uh, and uh, thanks for listening. Don't forget you can listen to the fly Pops podcast on key.aero and um spotify and also excitingly on apple podcasts um speak to you again next time this has been a podcast from key aero your aviation destination remember visit www.key.aero for more of the same thanks for stopping by and we hope to catch up with you again soon Thank you.